From the advertising media capital of the world, New Milford, Connecticut, wherever that is. This is Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson, a bi-weekly-ish podcast about all things automotive marketing. Now, here's your host, Matt Wilson. Ah, yes. Last day of the month, car people. Hello. Punch those RDRs. You know what I'm saying? Get them in. Get them done. Don't be there till 11 o'clock tonight either. Be efficient during the day, right? Get the cars punched and get everybody out of there at a reasonable time. And then you come back tomorrow for Retail Saturday. Welcome to Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson. Friday morning's live edition, our second live Friday morning episode brought to you by Stoke Cold Brew Coffee, the greatest coffee ever made. If I could just get them to pay me for this sponsorship, that'd be fantastic. So it's more of a fake sponsorship. But hey, Stoke, call me. We are presented by Silverback Advertising, full service Automotive agency specializing in OTT connected TV service. Go to silverbackadvertising.com. So welcome to the episode. This is our second live episode, and we're going to cover some of the things that are trending in automotive uh, this week. We're going to give you some tips coming up, five things that you can do next week that will make a difference training-wise with your salespeople. Five things you can do next week with your salespeople That'll make a difference. We'll talk about uh, the political season. We're not going to get political, but we'll talk about how political advertising and dollars spent on TV specifically could affect your advertising in the fall. And we'll talk about the market. The demand has been there for us all, right, in uh, May, June. Maybe it slowed a little bit in July, so we'll talk about what that means and uh, what is coming up. First guests today are from Making Waves Marketing, Linda Richardson and D.D. D.D. Martz joining us. I forgot your last <laughs> you name, D.D. I'm sorry. I don't know how that happened. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, Matt. Hi, Linda. Hi, D.D. How you doing? Hi. We're doing well. Good. Well, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Is this your second or third appearance on the podcast? Second. Second. Second appearance. Second. All right. Number two. Well, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. The first thing I wanted to talk to you folks about is uh, a story that I read in uh, a trade magazine that says uh, authentic brands, along with Simon Property Group, which is one of the largest uh, mall uh, ownership companies in the country, and Brookfield are considering making a bid for Asina Group. And they own Ann Taylor, Lane Bryant, and some other retailers. And the reason that uh, they're citing or that Asina group is considering selling is they were once the ultimate in comfort and casual wear jeans, but they uh, they've been, it's kind of been outweighed by more comfortable and stretchier options lately. And they say that jeans sales, jean sales have been sluggish for five years. And then of course, well, nobody's getting dressed up to go anywhere right now. Right. We're all, we're actually, I'm going to do this if you here. Sorry. We're all wearing, um, stretchy clothes. Nobody's wearing jeans, dress, dressy jeans or regular jeans anymore. Cause no one leaves the house. Uh, I think so this is an interesting story to see your retailer, uh, you know, business going down a little bit. So the question is, I guess to, to, to start it off is, are we at all surprised? We know things are changing in, in, in property management, in, property in management. malls across the country, in retail stores, uh, less shopping uh, in person, more shopping online, but specifically mm-hmm. like this type of style, people seem to be dressing more comfortably nowadays, right? At least for now and while they're working at home. But I kind of think that prior to the pandemic, we had started changing, going from wearing that suit and tie, which at one point was the norm, to dressing down and becoming a bit more casual in the office and jeans were okay. So I'm surprised by the gene statement. I'm not surprised like that they feel the effects for the last, what are we, five months into this, five or six months into this. But I think we're going to get back to where we need jeans and retailers that were traditionally business dresses, suits, nice pants, like they're going to have to figure out what their forward future move is because it 
I think we're going to continue to move towards genes at work I when feel, we go back. Right. But for now, yeah, we're in sweats and Oh, yeah. Shorts. I'm wearing basketball shorts. I've got the shirts tucked into basketball shorts right now and no socks. I, I am wearing jeans. Should we be worried about shoes? Like what's going to happen there? I know, right? I mean, no one wears shoes. Any, <laughs> yeah, I'm barefoot all, all day now. I don't even, I don't even like feet. You know, what's interesting too is I'm not sure you can tell me how it is in, in, in your worlds, but in the automotive industry, you know, there's sort of a wide variety of the way people dress, right? You have the stores, like I have a, I have a client at my agency who they are shirt and tie and their shirt and tie colors match their logo, like the branding of their store, which is very cool. They have no facial hair. It's like the, uh, they're very well dressed, but it's also like mm-hmm. a down to earth environment, right? And then you have like the flashy stores where it's like the most expensive suit you can get. And the sales manager gives, gives the sales, the top salesperson of the month, a suit at the end of the month. Like there's the flashy, like, look how cool I can dress stores. And then there's the casual, like golf shirt in the summer stores. And then there's like me. I wasn't working on the retail floor, but I was on the floor. You're walking around sometimes. I'd be like, I'm not wearing a tie to work. I wear jeans and a dress shirt all the time. And I feel like that is happening uh, in a lot of situations, depending on what store you're at, what part of the country you're in dealership wise. But what about, what about, what do you think is happening outside of automotive? I think it's the same thing. I'm starting, I think you're starting to see people just relax in the uniform and not so stiff. And um, I think about like, I came from 12 years with with T-Mobile and Metro and like the thing was these really cool graphic tees with the logo in the middle and cool jeans. And we even had sneakers that we had branded that were magenta. So I, I think in general, you'll see folks moving a little bit more towards a, a relaxed, a uniform. I came from entertainment and all the top executives wore the, the fanciest sneakers they could find with their skinny jeans and their blazers. <laughs> <laughs> They're still like this mixture. Sneakers are a cool fashion statement. Yeah. Sneakers are a thing. I follow a, um, a uh, sales manager on Facebook and he's all about like, I have 200 pairs of sneakers and convert. It's like a, and converse and this and that. And it's like, all right, we get it. You're, you're like Peter Pan. Right. But, but I get it. Like that's the collectible. Also watches are a big thing in the automotive industry. This is like a $22 watch, but uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, wear fancy watches and that's the gifts that the, you know, the, that those sales managers are give them. But it's interesting to see how this uh, is changing a little bit. And I, I think you're right, Linda, this, obviously the ball started or started rolling before the pandemic. It's not like all of a sudden in however long it's been five or six months, all of a sudden it's like, you know, Oh, everyone's wearing yoga pants and working from home. Boom. Going out of business. But I I think we've seen this trending as workplaces have become more casual. And as um, people have been shopping online and not going to malls as much, I think, but I think this has probably accelerated the process. a little bit. Absolutely expedited it. It totally did. Uh, now, so, okay, so uh, obviously you guys working from home, you're you're not in your office at your agency, you're in Florida, so you guys are working from home, doing your own thing. So on for your standpoint, is this super dressy? Because this is as dressy as, as I've been in, in, I don't know, probably, I haven't visited a client's location since February, uh, early March. Yeah, I, I steamed my shirt today. Like, hey, wow. wow. This is super cool. <laughs> I don't even. (laughs) We went all out for you, Matt. (laughs) I don't even know where my iron is, and this is the first time I haven't worn a baseball cap in like a week. So, Um, well, you're looking good. You don't have the usual crazy hair that like a lot of these guys because they're still not going to get their haircuts done. I did get rid of the fro. Uh, You know, I I took some time before going out. It was a hard decision, but I eventually went to see my barber, and I went like early. I was super like uh, anxious about it. I'm like, I want to be the first guy there. I want to be the only guy there. And I want to be out of there in, you know, 20 minutes and no, no shave, just hair. And he's like, no problem. And he didn't even take my mask off. He like moved the ear, did the thing, put it back. Like, so it made me comfortable, but, and I was getting a little too, I couldn't even, my hats weren't, my hats weren't fitting. (laughs) What else do you think the pandemic will affect? So what else, what other businesses or, um, things that you think you could see changing because of the pandemic and, and mostly because we're, we're all working from home a lot more than we used to. We talked about it last. Linda and I had a happy hour with a group of girlfriends last night 
And we, we brought this up and we, we said coffee. Who stopped, who's going getting coffee in the yeah. morning on the way yeah. to work? Yeah. Right? So, and then at the same time. That they're closing 100 stores. Mm. Yeah. Dunkin' Donuts is closing. But on like it comes out, it says they're closing 800 stores. And it, that's 8% of their stores. But on the other side of it, it's only 2% of their business. So they're just closing right. the you know the bottom ones that aren't making money and are probably um, losses for them to begin with. But I, I do think that we talked about uh, coffee, but we also talked about like going out to lunch. Yeah. When you worked in the office, how often did you go out to lunch? Every day, right? Uh, right. Right. And now nobody's doing that. So think about all of those little quick lunch joints that you would just hit that were generally around your office. Who's, yeah. I'm sure some people are still doing that, but not to the extent that we were. A friend of my, one of my friends worked for, um, I won't say where they work, but they, their, their organization, they were bringing them back to work slowly and they're not letting them leave for lunch. Like they have really? to bring lunch. They don't want them going out and then bring interacting with too many people throughout the day. They were limiting hmm. how, how, where they could go during the day. That's like the NBA bubble. It's like, you're at yeah. work, you're at work. Don't go near anybody. Right. How many times, right. how, how many times a week would you say that you were stopping to get coffee on your way to the office and buying lunch out? Uh, well, I was buying lunch out almost every day, maybe one day a week I didn't. And then I usually skipped it because I was too busy. Yeah. Um, and then I would stop for coffee like three on average, three times a week on, on the way to work. Like, man, my pocket, I need to go shopping. Yeah. <laughs> I've been saving some money. <laughs> I've been working from home for a year and a half. So I stopped doing those things for quite a while. I, when you work from home, you're almost forced to make your, like, I would think. I would have the best intentions on Sundays. I'm going to bring leftovers for lunch tomorrow. I'm going to keep them in the fridge at work. I'm going to eat in, like we had like a little lounge area set up in my marketing office. I'm going to eat in the office and then be like, in the morning, I'd be like, I'm not going to make lunch right now. I got to go. And then, so every day I'd be at either the deli down the road or the grocery mm-hmm. store next door had a deli and a salad bar. And there'd be like three places you'd go. But I was working at a, in a, in a Fairfield County, Connecticut, where everything is super expensive. I spent like 50 bucks a month, 50 bucks a, a week on lunch. I mean, it's crazy. So I think the moral of the story or the lesson is if you're at a dealership right now, you're working at your store or you're at your agency uh, right now, support your, don't make lunch at home, support your local guys, because I'm thinking of the money that the deli down the road from now the dealership I used to work at is open, obviously, but there's less people working there right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of offices in that area are still work from home. And it's gotta be hard for that, for that uh, food, that uh, restaurant deli. Yeah, we do. We have to find ways to start supporting our local businesses, even just um, any of the little shops that aren't food related. We've, we've got to start supporting and, and showing up. And, and and I love Amazon. I do. But, oh, man, we got to stop ordering. All right. So products. here's yeah. one of the things. That I- oh, all right. Sorry, sorry about that. Um, no, I agree with Amazon. It's tough. I mean, I've told the story before on uh, on this podcast, but the liquor store in my town delivers. So. On Friday, last Friday, after this show, I went online and I ordered, you know, just a couple things, whatever. The the dollar amount of what it cost doesn't matter. Um, And so that was like 1130 at two o'clock. There's a car in my driveway. I'm looking out this window over here and I'm like, who is that? I'm like, that's the liquor store. And... (laughs) So it's not the normal one I would go to. It's the one that delivers. And, but that's just the way that business has been affected. Like the business for the other liquor store closer to me has lost my business for now because I don't want to go in there. It's kind of small. It's busy. I don't want to be around that close quarters of those people. But I've brought my business to this other place because they'll bring it to my house. Right. Well, and also, you know, we, we ordered from BurgerFi. Do you have BurgerFi? No, we do not. Uh, Sounds delicious. Great burger joint. But uh, we... It's bougie burgers. Yeah. But we <laughs> ordered from that. My daughter and I ordered from it um, last night and I just went to their site and said, yes, I want delivery. And they had an agreement with DoorDash. So I didn't have to go to DoorDash. I just went straight to their site and then they delivered it. I mean, that's like companies are going to have to start rethinking how they're, you know, engaging with consumers and making it easy for them to take advantage, buy their products, use their product. Yeah, 
Absolutely. They have to adapt. And I think, you know, we've been talking mm-hmm. about it on podcasts uh, before and uh, in specific to, to uh, auto is that you need to, I don't sound like a broken record, but you need to be in all the places your customer is considering purchasing a car and all the ways they would consider it. It's not going to all be online. It's not going to all be curbside pickup. It's not going to remain all in the dealership. It's going to be a variety of those things and the dealers that can adapt and be available every way that someone wants to shop are the dealers that are going to, are going to succeed the most in this crazy world that we're in right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay, now that I have you two on here and I'm talking to somebody who you guys aren't like embedded in automotive, obviously you have an agency and you work with lots of different um, verticals. Automotive is not an area of expertise for you guys. And so I wanted to talk to you, somebody who's outside of the automotive bubble, right? I'm in the bubble. I talk to dealers and I talk to agency people all day, every day, and we're all in our own little world. And the biggest story of the last couple of weeks for us has been the launch of the the new Ford Bronco. And I was thinking about it the other day. I was talking to my neighbor about it actually, because he collects old Broncos. So he is excited about it. But I was like, are people outside of automotive who aren't like car obsessed aware of the new Bronco and where does it rate in, on, on their world in terms of their awareness of it? So, so first of all, are you aware there's a new Ford Bronco out? Yes. You are. Yes. Okay. How aware are you? Were you aware of when the launch was? Did you know what happened? Did you know you could order them? Like, how did it kind of come into your world? Well, my, my husband drives a Jeep Wrangler. Oh. So, yeah. So there's a little competition there. Uh, so he just showed me, look at this. Look what they're trying to do. They're trying to be a Jeep. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. That was a little of my immersed. So, Dee Dee, yeah. so you know about it because yeah. you're, you're a Wrangler family. What about you, Linda? Um, somebody posted it on Facebook and I was like, Ooh, a new, uh, Ford Bronco. Well, that's interesting. Last time I remember Ford Bronco had to do with, uh, OJ Simpson. So <laughs> curiosity, Ford, the cat. by the way, I, I clicked blood. by the way, Ford loves that comparison. Ford loves that. They love, they love that. I'm, I'm so sorry. It is. It is. So I was curious, though, because of all that, like, I'm like, it's been a while. Let's see what they've done. So I clicked on the button and looked at the pretty pictures of the new style that is trying to be, a, you know, like Jeep. It felt like to me, not yeah. a, an automotive person. Um, but, you know, I read, I checked it out. I thought that was interesting and I moved on. <laughs> right. But you're aware of it. I think that's what counts is the branding and the awareness is there. I mean, manufacturers spend a great deal of time and money trying to boost the awareness of different models. When I was at Nissan years ago, our whole thing was about what percentage of the population is aware of the Nissan Rogue. And as that number went up, we, you know, we, we, we fist, we fist pumped and we were excited. And I think, you know, somewhere in a Ford office somewhere, they want to make sure that whether you're in the market or not, you're aware that there's a new Bronco and it sounds like they did a good job with both of you. I think they did. Yeah. And so from a, from a, a Wrangler competition standpoint, obviously the Wrangler's kind of always been kind of on its own and a four wheel drive, uh, convertible, uh, available, uh, SUV and you know, the Wrangler has been around forever. The Bronco has been gone since the mid eighties, I want to say, and now it's back. So DD as a, as Wrangler people, you, your husband has had Wranglers right for a long time. Yeah. He's had about, I think this is his sixth. So would he consider a Bronco when his lease is up or when he's in the market for another one? Jeep life for life. <laughs> Jeep life for life. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's interesting that, <laughs> That they're going, I mean, obviously it makes sense they're going after that their Wrangler segment, but, uh, you know, the Jeep people are such a loyal brand. And now last week on the, on the podcast, I talked to uh, Colin Carasquilla from the uh, Nielsen Automotive Group and Jeep, um, while it is loyal, was not the most loyal uh, brand out there. I believe Subaru was, but I feel like Subaru and Jeep people are both very loyal to their vehicles. Mm-hmm. Like we were Jeep people. My wife used to have Wranglers. I had a Grand Cherokee, I had a regular Cherokee and I switched to Nissan because I worked for a Nissan group and it was just a natural, like I got a, a sick deal on my Nissan. So it made sense. Um, I'll go back to Jeep at some point, but the Bronco is coming in at a price point 
much less expensive than the Wranglers are. The Wranglers have gotten expensive. So the question is, is people who drive Wranglers because they're cool, they're four-wheel drive, they're, they're, they're convertibles, but they're not like diehard hashtag Jeep life people, they would, I think they would consider the Bronco because the Bronco is good looking and it's cheaper. Perhaps. He let me drive the car last week and I had to make sure that I did the wave. He let you make drive sure the Jeep wave? Yep. Like, is it just three fingers? Yeah, the three fingers. Yeah. It's not like this. It's like. I said, I'm allowed to do this. My daughters are like, Mommy, stop it. Is this real? This is real. A Jeep wave is real. Like, yeah. you know, I drove Cherokee, but nine people did talk at me. Nine people. Yeah. It's a, rank, it's a Wrangler it's thing. I had a, Jeep um, everywhere. Unless you notice, they're everywhere. No, they're all over the place. I mean, I, we, we, the only car dealership in my town is a Jeep dealership. And, you know, it's obviously a drive by every day. And um, they, you know, have the wave. I wave. <laughs> no, because I have a Murano now, so I can't wave. It's against it's against the rules. Um, it's still out of respect. Yeah, I don't know. but they have the. I mean, they've been these dealerships have been sticking with the same look on the front line for ten years. It's the Wranglers with the different colors all in a row. You know, it's got the white one, and they get the blue one, and they get the green one, and the red one, and the black okay. one. Yeah, the, all the crazy colors, yeah. and. Um, they've been sticking with it and it's working. So it'll be interesting to see if the Bronco excitement could make a dent in the uh, Wrangler market. And judging by the number, I don't know the number of reservations, but just from people I've talked to at different Ford dealerships, the number of reservations is super high and dealerships who are uh, not huge Ford dealerships are seeing a large number of reservations. And if that's any indication of how it's going to do when it comes out next year, It'll be interesting to see if it makes a dent uh, in the market. Well, but it sounds like you're not switching. We, we are a society of wanting like FOMO. the yeah. next best thing. Like, yeah, yeah, we want the next best thing. I'm going to get it before you get it. Like, people are going to line up. And I, I mean, it looks it looks cool. And if you're willing to go out and have some fun and spend those dollars, hey, I see it, I see it doing really well. Yeah, why not? I agree with you. Let's have a quick quick clip here. I got a caller last week, uh, who is a finance person in the automotive industry. His name's Dave. And he actually called in with some numbers, like actual math about the difference in, uh, in, uh, the way pricing has changed in Wranglers and, uh, Broncos. This is from, this is from last week. All right. So here's one of the things that I wanted to look at was the percentage of increase in MSRP from 1995 to 2021. Because if you look at a Wrangler Sahara in 1995, MSRP was $15,983. Okay. That same MSRP right now equipped similarly is over $50,000. So you're talking about a 300% increase. If you look at a Bronco Eddie Bauer edition, 1995, $24,000 fully equipped. That's a 200% increase, basically, of what you're getting into now if you're looking at the original edition. I don't know how many other people looked at the data from that standpoint, but from my standpoint, Ford did a great job with the rollout on this, trying to manage cost versus marketing versus development and then actual rollout. I think he makes a good point. He does make a good point. A lot of math, though, to process. Math's not my thing. Uh, and I started <laughs> writing down numbers. I'm like, ah. <laughs> I tried to when I, he was talking last week and I just couldn't write fast enough. And I was like, you know what? Forget it. This is recorded. I can look, listen back and try and digest the info. <laughs> All right. Well, well they're, coming, they're coming out with a hot price point. They're yeah. coming out with something that is interesting and new and hasn't been around for a long time. Like they, They've got a commodity on their hands and now they're making this desire to want this desire to need and I'm going to get on this list and yeah. I'm going to be one of the first ones to own it. Like they're, they're driving the excitement. They're doing the right thing. And the automotive industry, go ahead. Selling that, that emotion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. We talk a lot about in the automotive industry about the, um, the value of, you know, some selling someone a vehicle and their neighbor seeing their, neighbor in a brand new shiny vehicle and being like, Oh, that's pretty nice looking. Well, let's see. We're four years into our five-year loan on this car. You know, it's, it's, you've got that like keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing in automotive. And it'll be interesting to see if when the new Bronco starts cruising around town, uh, if, if it makes an impact, we have a couple of Wranglers in my neighborhood now. Um, and it'll be interesting to see for sure. I mean, 
Yeah, I have to wave. Yeah. Oh, three family. How do you do it? This number three. This way. It's casual. You got your hands on the wheel. It's like, hey, right? It's not. It's not like. Oh, that's what it is. That's it. I'm on the finger guns. I'm gonna do finger. I'm gonna do finger guns. Hey. All right, Dee Dee and Linda, Making Waves Marketing. Let's plug Making Waves before I let you go. Yeah, we will. Um, I think we messed this up last time. Yes, totally. But, um, you know, we're, we're a, a boutique agency, uh, female-owned, focused on um, focused on local retail stores, uh, hospitality, when that starts coming back, restaurants. Um, huh? Professional services. Professional services, mm-hmm. and um, we will help help you make waves, not ripples. I like it. Well, thanks for joining me. It's been great to talk to you both again. Thanks. Thanks. Right. thanks. Yep. Anytime. Thanks. There you go, Dee Dee and Linda from Making Waves Marketing. They're awesome. If you're down in Florida, give them a call and enjoy the sunshine. All right, let's move on here, shall we? I was thinking it might be nice. It's the end of the month, right? Tomorrow is a fresh start in automotive. Hopefully you're not all working until 11 o'clock tonight and then starting early tomorrow. Uh, So a new month, reset button, starting over. I thought it might be a good chance to talk about what can you do differently. And I always like talking to people who uh, handle training for sales and BDC and finance. I spent a lot of my time talking to those people now in agency life and in the past in, uh, in, in dealer group life. And I thought it would be nice to get some, some things that you can do immediately training wise at your dealership that can make a difference, uh, quickly, right? Can make a difference next month. So joining me now on uh, Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson is Ron Garverick. Garverick. Did I get it right, Ron? I hope I got got it right. right. Ron Garverick. Yes. Yes. Finance director at Street VW of Amarillo, owner of Garv Automotive, finance sales and BDC training and host of Automotive Architects Sales Podcast. You are busy. Welcome to the welcome to the show, Ron. Well, I'm, I want to say thank you for having me on. It's a great honor, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to dropping some golden nuggets to start the month of August. How's the close going at, uh, at uh, Street VW at Amarillo? Right now, we have a uh, all, all the uh, salesmen are here, and we have customers at every desk, so it's going to be very busy today. All right, punch those RDRs. Let's, yes, sir. So let's get to it. I won't keep you for too long, but I thought this would be a good chance to uh, give some dealers some nougats, tasty nougats of information on things they can do training-wise that can make an immediate impact on their business in August. Do you have five? Can we go through five? I do have five, actually, so I'm, I'm glad any- that we were on the same uh, wavelength when it came to five golden nuggets. Are these in any particular order? No, not really, but it it, it will help the, the managers uh, with, with the salesmen and be able to coach and train and get them uh, on the – on the right mindset so they can uh, prosper in months to come. But most importantly, we have to work one day at a time, one month at a time. And uh, that's where we're going to start today. All right, let's do it. Start at five or start at one. I don't care. Let's do it. Number one, guys, you have to filter through your sales team to figure out uh, who are the order takers, who are the presenters and who are the closers. And what I mean by that, order takers, you got a customer that comes in, they say, hey, I've got to be at a 350 payment, 72 months, no money down, and you have to give me 15 grand for my trade. I call that an order taker. Check, please. You know, it's just like going into a diner. A presenter will give all the information out to the customer, you know, the uh, price, payment, product, what we're giving you for your trade, what your interest rates is going to be, and sell the car, but don't close the deal. So the, the customer says, you know what, that sounds like a great deal. I need to go talk to my wife. Uh, this ain't my first stop. I'm actually going to look at a Nissan uh, Sentra and also a uh, Toyota Corolla. I'm just going to go shopping. If you got the best deal, then I'll come back to you. A closer will do anything that they can to close the deal. They ask the right questions. They, they sell on value and not price, and we'll get to that in a minute. But they they ask all the right questions and they close the deal. 
if all terms were agreeable, will you buy this car today? No, why not? There's I what I preach is there's four reasons a customer won't buy a car today. It's price, payment, product, and person. Are you the right person they want to buy it from? Is the price uh, where you want to be? Is the payment where you want to be that fits around your budget? And is this the car you want to buy? And the majority of the time, it's going to be payment unless they're stroking out a check. So that's number one. You got to filter who's the presenters, who's the order takers, and who are the closers. And then after you figure that out, then you train the order takers and presenters to become better closers. Number two, you got to train your salespeople on process. You can't go from meet and greet to write up and write straight into the trade appraisal. Don't skip steps because there's a process that you have to go through and to let the customer feel comfortable with you because you got eight seconds for that customer to feel comfortable with you. So in the meet and greet, hi, I'm Ron with uh, Street Volkswagen. Are you here to uh, go to parts or service? I'm here to buy a car. Great. I'm here to sell you a car. Now, are you looking for a truck or SUV? And then you go into the process of qualifying, asking qualifying questions. Listen, 80%, talk 20%, ask a question, now listen. If you skip those steps, you'll you'll ruin a car deal faster than you can ever think of. So keep your process in check. Number three, you got to coach your sales team on the success for the month. You're, you've got to help them track their month on units and on money. And what I mean by that is you, you take the units sold already, divide it by the days that they're, they've already worked, and multiply it by the the working days in the month. They will see where they're tracking during the month, if they're getting to 20 cars, if they're getting to 25 cars. And I do that with money also. How much money have you made in commissions now? Where you should be at the end of the month. And it keeps them, and I make them write out their bills every month. And every time they sell a car, and let's say they have a, a $200 cell phone bill, if they sell them a car and it's a mini, they've already paid that bill. And, and once they pay all their bills, then they can see how much money they have left over to invest in themselves in more training, buying a book, you know, taking mama out for, for the night because, you know, the kids have drove, drove her nuts all week. So you know where you're tracking throughout the month by this formula. Number four, you got to train more on product knowledge. You got to know more about the vehicle you're selling than the customer does. Because if they ask you a question and you give them the wrong answer, they're going to know that you're a liar and then they can't trust you. If if they say, what, what engine does this have? And you say, you know, honestly, I don't know, but I'll find that out for you. That is more credible as, as being a great salesman than being one that's given, oh, it's a 2.0. Well, it actually is a 3.6. Why did you lie to me? Why don't you know your product? On top of that, you should know your competitor's product better than the customer does. So you compare your your Jetta to a Corolla or a Focus um, so your customers can feel like, okay, well, these have better options than this vehicle. I may want to go with this one. This one may have better gas mileage than this one. So if you know your product and your competitor's product a lot better than the customer does, you're more credible. They think that you're a great professional and you'll be able to sell the car more, not just on this deal, but every deal that they want to buy throughout the years. And they'll send their friends and family over to buy from you too, because how professional you are. Last but not least, guys, you got to train your sales team on selling value and not price. If you are talking to a customer and they want to know what the best price is and you haven't done a proper presentation and a proper walk around, you are just seeing your gross profit, your commission wither through every word that you say. So when you, you find out what their hot buttons are, you find out what they want, and then you start justifying that's the why it's priced the way it's priced. Now, most of the time when a salesman goes and gets a TO from, from a manager, it's because they don't have enough uh, closes in their back pocket to overcome every objection that the customer gives. On top of that, they um, 
are devaluing the vehicle every time they lower the price. So when they go up to a manager and say, hey, uh, the customer says they got to think about it. Remember those four P's, price, product, payment, person. And, as, and the sales manager gets up to go take a TO, if he lowers the price, not only does he not know how to o- overcome objections, he doesn't know how to justify the value of the vehicle also. Mm-hmm. And all, all an objection is, is they still haven't uh, believed that you solved their problem. The problem is, will this fit their monthly budget? Will this give them the best gas mileage out there? Will the options in this vehicle, Apple CarPlay or heated cool seat, sunroof, navigation, will this help them in the long run for the next 60, 72 months? So if, you've, if you're a manager and you take a TO and you lower the price, then you, you need training too and, and give me a call and I'll help you out on that. But if you're not selling the value then you need to start the process over, do a proper presentation once again to let the customer know that it's priced the way it's priced due to the fact because of all these options. You know, I used to love visiting stores and I'd be, you know, hanging out with the sales managers, talking to the sales managers, be at the desk and I would see a salesperson come over with his little worksheet and he would say, hey, you know, I need, the customer needs this. And the guy would go, did you get this? Did they drive the car? Did you do the trade? Did you do that? And he'd be like, no. And he'd be like, here you go. Come back to me. You skipped A, B, and C. You skipped two, three, and four. And now we're not going to be able to do five and six because he didn't do two, three, and four correctly. And the, I would I would love, I think it's so important that a sales manager, general manager, executive manager, whoever it is, it, it holds the people accountable for the process because the process works if it's done correctly and done every time. Yeah, stop trying to reinvent the wheel. You know, you do get these customers that that looked online, they already seen the price, they know you're the lowest price out there. They know they want to come in and and do the meet and greet, but then get right straight to the demo. They already figured out what they want. They've already know the price range they want to be at. They want to skip the steps. Great. But if you follow their process and then you're bouncing back and forth, oh, now you found out they wanted they're trading a vehicle off without asking the question in the in the qualifying step then it's just a cluster and you're starting to see your gross profits go down and the and the bad thing is you know you where you make the most money you make the money on selling value to the car you make money on down payments and you make money on the trade appraisal so if you don't do your trade appraisal and have the customer walk out there with you and you put your hands on the scratch or you put your hands on the the uh, tires and you look at their windshield, they're going to tell you a story of what happened. Yeah, I was following a semi truck and a rock flew up and now I got a, a rock chip. Well, did you did you actually buy a, a windshield protection for that? No. Oh, don't worry about it. We'll talk about that when we go back inside. Did you did you get tire and ding protection? No. Don't worry about it. We'll talk about that inside. So when then you give them their trade appraisal, they're like, well, I want I want more for my trade. Well, Mr. Cusper, did you realize when we went out and looked at your vehicle, it had the dings and dents. It had a cracked windshield. It needed tires. You also told me you didn't do your 60,000 mile uh, uh, maintenance on it. So gradually, we believe that your car is going to be 16 grand, but we got to spend a little bit money to get there. So that's why we're justifying the price or the the value of your vehicle. Good stuff from Ron. Let's plug the uh, training consulting and then let's plug the podcast. Go. Guys, um, if you go to my website right now, www.garvautomotive, that is the old website. I got a new website being built right now. It's going to have sales training on it. You become a member of uh, Garv University. You go in and subscribe, become a member. There's going to be a little bit of a fee on there, but I'm going to plug nuggets on all those videos so you can write them down. Uh, It's going to be www.garvautomotive.com. And then I got my uh, weekly sales podcast, Automotive Architect Sales Podcast, that runs every week. You can get it on uh, Google Play. You can get it on Spotify, Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever they, wherever you go. You can even look it up on Google and it'll pop right up. But uh, if you get on there, you like what you hear, please leave a review.
Iron, go buy your guys some coffee. Get them, get them fired up for the day. Punch some cars. We got the convenience store coffee right here, baby. Nice. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Good stuff. I appreciate it. All right. Well, there we go. I like that. Now it's time for a word from our sponsor. Stoke. Not really. Call me, guys. We do have a sponsor, though. The Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson Friday Morning Live podcast brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to uh, to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. If it's free, it's for me, right? The creation tools uh, they have that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You don't need fancy editing software. You can just sign up for Anchor and do it right from your phone or your computer. And then to distribute your podcast for you, which is the hardest part, right? You want to get it on Spotify and Apple and Google and Stitcher and Frackle. And I don't even know if that's a thing, but you want to get it in all those places. That could be time consuming. Anchor will do that for you. You can even make money on your podcast with no minimum listenership. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That is anchor.fm to get started. All right. I think it's going well so far, right? Uh, What I want to talk about now was how political spending could affect what's going on with your advertising in the fall. We're not going to get political. Don't worry. I'm not stupid. But we're going to talk about uh, politicians spending money uh, in the fall, Labor Day to uh, Election Day, and how it could affect your advertising. So the story is the president's re-election campaign has made advanced bookings of $147 million for TV ads between Labor Day and Election Day. And three out of the top 10 markets being targeted are in Florida and are pretty big media markets. Tampa, St. Pete, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and Orlando, Daytona, Melbourne is one uh, DMA there. And those are areas where a ton of money is being spent. I remember probably, I don't know, 2010. So 10 years ago, Lyndon McMahon, you know, Lyndon McMahon, that Lyndon McMahon ran for the Senate in Connecticut. And she spent $50 million of her own money uh, to advertise to get into the Senate. She lost, by the way. And then in 2012, she spent another $50 million. And she lost that one too, by the way. Uh, So she spent $100 million of her own money to get elected to the U.S. Senate. And the only thing you could hear or see in this part of Connecticut that I'm in Fairfield County, Litchfield County was Lyndon McMahon commercials. She would call you voicemail. Um, what do they call it? Ringless voicemail, right? She would send you big floppy mailers in the mail. She'd be all over the local radio stations, all over the TV stations, driving rates up ridiculously high. Lyndon McMahon, Lyndon McMahon, Lyndon McMahon. It was crazy. You're going to see that if you're in some of these markets after Labor Day, right? Some of the other markets that uh, the president's election campaign is spending this $147.2 million is uh, Philly, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Detroit, Cleveland, Akron, Columbus, Ohio, Phoenix, Arizona, and Charlotte, North Carolina. It's going to get nuts. How will it affect us? That's a good question. The answer can be provided by a media buyer, a professional media buyer. Full transparency, I recorded this yesterday with uh, Dee Lynch. She is the media buyer, senior media buyer at Silverback Advertising. Dee, hi. Hi, how are you? Fine, thanks. Oh, here we go. Dee, hi. Hi, how are you? Fine, thanks. Listen, thanks for coming on. We want to talk about uh, the political spending that's going to happen uh, in bulk between Labor Day and Election Day. You heard right there, lots of uh, dollars being dropped in those markets. And the question that I had is, how will that or can that affect dealers who regularly advertise on TV and radio in uh, September, October, and early November? Can it have an effect on what they normally do Uh and if so, what would those effects be? Yes, so absolutely, it, it will affect um, their, their advertising campaigns. Um, any advertiser needs to understand that any election, especially a major election, such as this one that's coming up, can potentially and most likely will impact their advertising campaigns. 
And in terms of how could it affect them, um, you'd have rate increases. Okay. Um, preemptions, the schedules they've already placed will get preempted by higher dollars. Um, that leads to limited inventory, and that in turn um, reduces the ability to negotiate replacement inventory. Really? Okay. So I didn't really understand. So the, so they, so you have a schedule booked, let's say, and the camp, is it, if you have a schedule booked and the campaign has a higher rate, your, yours can actually get bumped is what you're saying. Yes. And then is it hard to, to, to rebook or make goods or whatever they, whatever they call it, because all those blocks of time are purchased by the candidates already. That's correct. As supply and demand as, um, wow. More politicians and more advertisers come into the market, the demand gets smaller. So obviously it seems like it'll be an issue in these markets, these, these 10 markets here that I mentioned before. Uh, mm-hmm. And this um, this uh, article calls out uh, television uh, broadcast and cable specifically. But in the case of the Lyndon McMahon example I used back in the day, and I remember hearing the Lyndon McMahon commercials on TV and radio. Well, this uh, doesn't particularly call out radio. I assume the same thing could happen on terrestrial radio as well. We've seen that in the past, correct? Um, yes, yes, it, it certainly could. But um, television is typically the largest recipient of political advertising. Okay. Um, TV usually garners over 50% of their budgets. Cable and digital both come in roughly around 20% each. And that would leave less than 10% for radio. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking when you add that up, what is that 90% um, of the budgets are seen in visual types of mediums? Right. Um, and the reason could be that politicians just like to see their face out in front of the voters. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. <laughs> yeah. They like to see those images and that kind of thing. And radio just doesn't deliver a visual message. Is there anything that dealers or agencies can do in advance? in terms of uh, just pre-planning, knowing, okay, maybe I'm not going to be able to be on, or maybe I need to um, purchase something else or buy it a different way. Is there anything that dealers or agencies can do knowing that what it's going to be like between Labor Day and Election Day? Um, Well, sure. There's always something. There's always a solution. Um, They can pay the premiums. Which, right. We don't want to you know, do it. Yeah. And the stations are willing to take more money, of course, but of course. you know, the advertiser has to be willing to pay the freight. Um, I would suggest shopping alternative stations or zoned cable and zone cable is great because the dealer can focus right in their backyard. And typically politicians don't want to run in a zone. They prefer to be on the interconnect covers the whole market. Oh, that's a good tip. Um, another suggestion would be to move the budget to CTV. Uh, connected TV, um, that is television delivered over the internet. And that's a, a, a great viable option for advertisers because the connected TV ads are served digitally and they can be targeted even more specifically in terms of geography and to folks who are in the market or ready to purchase a new car. Well, that's interesting. The first part too. So the candidates prefer to buy, you're saying the networks, like uh, as an example, they'll buy ABC, NBC, CBS in a market, as opposed to buying a cable zone, like in Connecticut here, instead of buying like, you know, Fairfield County spectrum cable, they'll buy the network across the whole state. They prefer to buy that way. Well, yeah. So you can buy, if you're looking at ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, um, those are the local TV stations. Right. That would be a local spot TV buy. When I talk about cable, it would be an interconnect. Right. So cable would sell it, blanket the whole DMA. Gotcha. And get all the zones combined together because they want that massive reach. Right. So that's a good piece of advice. You can pay the rates, which dealers and agencies, we, we don't want to do that. You pay the, pay the high rates. So you can buy zones, which would be a good way to continue on and not have to compete with the political dollars or move some of your money to connected TV OTT, which is a a good place to be for targeting and otherwise. Well, that's good advice for dealers. I think that, um, is it like, it's probably only like this for national elections, right? I'm imagining for the opposite year, local elections, is it a little bit easier or do we see this every two years? You can see it in every, any election year. Um, you know, the federal candidates, um, the stations have to air the federal candidates. 
when you get into the local elections. I mean, that you could end up with some zone cable from just those little smaller local elections, but it all depends. And really, um, it depends on what's happening in the market and how heated the races are. Um, so, for example, if you have um, two candidates and one is polling at 80%, well, you're not going to have an issue. If you have two candidates that are pretty close neck and neck and are maybe polling at 50%, then you're like most likely to see more political spending, you know, right. as they battle that out. Good so stuff. It, it all depends. It's never, and you know what, it's 2020 right now, anything goes. We have no <laughs> idea what tomorrow's going to bring. No yeah. idea. Anything can happen. Anything can happen for sure. D Lynch, senior media buyer at uh, Silverback Advertising and a co-worker of mine. So I appreciate the time, D. Well, thank you. I appreciate um, talking with you. All right. The more you know, as they say. All right, coming up on Tuesday, a regular edition of Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson, the podcast out on Google, Apple, all the other places that you get podcasts. I have a conversation about outdoor and specifically about what's changed about outdoor, right? It's not just, it used to be like your Lamar rep would come to your dealership or your agency and they would say, I got these 10 boards available and it's $2,500 per flight and the flight is four weeks and here's the boards that are available and they'd give you the map and you'd circle the boards you want and they would look up on, or they'd call back to the office and ask if it was available for the flight that you wanted to uh, rent your outdoor, your billboard for. Not like that anymore. It's been digitized to a certain extent. And we'll talk about that next Tuesday in the next episode of Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson. Thank you to everybody for coming on today and uh, entertaining and hopefully informing the folks here in the automotive industry. I appreciate y'all listening and we'll have another live episode coming up next Friday morning at 1030. Enjoy the sales close. We are sponsored by Stoke, as you see there on the screen. Not really. But if you know a big wig at Stoke, give him my phone number. Give him a call. I'd like a sponsorship and maybe like a lifetime supply. Thanks for watching and listening. Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson. Episode out Tuesday, live next Friday. Have a good weekend. Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson is brought to you by... Wait, this guy has sponsors? Oh, never mind. This sheet of paper's blank. No sponsors. That makes more sense. For updates, info, future episodes, and more, follow on Twitter, subscribe on YouTube, like on Facebook, and connect on Frackle. You guys made that last one up. That's not even a thing, Frackle. Come on.